Welcome to the Arena Church podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. To be here together, I'm very mindful that it's very warm for everybody concerned. And so if somebody's dropping off at the side of you, just give them a gentle nudge. You might want to practice it now to your left, just a gentle nudge to the right, a gentle nudge, and that'll just keep everybody alive and connected this morning. I'll do it formally. Good morning, everybody. Is everybody good? Wonderful. We do have water if anybody does need it this morning. And um, we don't have air conditioning in this building. We often have said we won't put air conditioning in because we only have just really a few weeks out of the year when it's ever warm. But it just seems a very prolonged season. But we're not complaining, are we? No, we mustn't complain. Because we had dreadful uh, weather at the beginning of the year with snow and all kinds of things. And I know what I'd rather have, uh, some lovely warm sunshine. But it is a delight to be together. Andy's already led us so well. And Can I just reiterate, please, with regards to Serve Day, if you have not yet booked in to say we want to get involved. You saw on the video, it's just one day where we're asking everybody to sign up and get involved. Please, can I ask you to do that today? Go and see Tracy downstairs. Tracy's given a great lead to serve day. And uh, it's just a time when everybody can get involved. The second thing, as I said, is Dream Team Party. Please don't be put off. Some of you guys who aren't into football, that's cool. It's not a problem. It's not going to overrun the night. Um, there's a room that's designated and there'll be lots for you to do, connection points and whatever, that's fine. But equally, if you're really into the football, there's a room where you can do that and you can indulge yourself just in that, in that uh, room for that you know, hour and a half, you can enjoy. What we're trying to do is, some of those things, we didn't know that Dream Team Party, we didn't know that England were going to come second. I mean, we all thought that we were going to beat the Belgians. Sorry if you're from Belgium or got connections there, but we all thought that we'd beat them. So we'd be on Monday night, but actually it's now Tuesday night. So can I ask everybody, to, to come out for that. It's one night, there's lots of preparation. It's all free, there's going to be fantastic food. It will just be an amazing night together. We're finishing off today our series called Do the Hard Things. Just turn to your neighbour at the side of you and say, Do the Hard Things. I say that because Jesus delivered a message in Matthew 5, 6 and 7 that isn't entitled do the hard things, but when you read those verses together, you'll realise that's exactly what he was talking about. He was talking about hard things. Now, what he didn't say was impossible things, but he did say these were hard. These are things you are going to need to work out in your own lives. And over the last six weeks, we've been looking at the doing the hard things with regards to integrity, integrously. How do we live in this 21st century complex world and still live integrously? It's very, very challenging, very difficult. How do we live and do the hard things morally? Because as many people know, the people you work with, they live with a different set of values that aren't the same morals that you would have. How do we live and do the hard things devotionally? How do we do the hard things? And I delivered this one relationally with people who we don't like, people who have hurt us, people who have abused us, people who have misunderstood us. How do we do that? 
very, very challenging, very difficult. And today, we're going to be talking about doing the hard things worshipfully. Now you all say to yourself, finally, we get to hear about something that's really not as challenging and we get to hear about how we can sing songs. But this is not what Jesus is talking about. Because actually, this message, listen to me carefully, is the hand grenade of all hand grenades. This is the bomb of all bombs that he drops right in the middle of his message. Because when we look at doing the hard things worshipfully, what Jesus is, is essence is saying, what has you? What has you? Where is your love? Where is your devotion? Where is your commitment? Now, he's on the mountainside because Matthew 5 says that he called them up on the mountainside and he was like here. I've said many times over this series, um, don't ever think that I'm like Jesus. There's no comparison at all. We're trying to become like him, but I'm certainly not Jesus. But here I am preaching like Jesus did. And there was a group of people who sat around him and they were listening to the message. And he keeps shifting gears all the way through Matthew 5, 6 and 7. And I don't encourage you to read it. He starts to talk about things that we've just mentioned a moment ago. But in the middle of this great message, it really does shift from a third to a fifth gear. He, he, he moves, he doesn't even touch fourth. He just puts his foot on the pedal as it was if he was driving a car and he just moves quickly into something and it took their breath away because he starts to talk about things that affects every single one of us. And when Jesus was delivering this message, he knew that 21 centuries later, the message that he was preaching was still going to be applicable to that generation and that time. Because here he is and he addresses this challenging subject of doing the hard things with our worship, with our love, with our devotion, because he understood this was the problem. You see, the problem was this. People's hearts wander and we begin to worship other things. I love what all the guys said, but Dean just used that phrase. It helps him with the breaking of bread to remove all the clutter, what's happening at work, even what we're going to have for lunch later. Uh, most of us want salads at the moment, don't we? We don't want a big, you know, hearty meal. But, you know, it puts all that to one side. And he said, what it helps him to do is just focus. What he was basically saying is, it helps me to, you know, center myself in worship. What's important? Because some of you think that worship time is lifting hands and songs. It's not. The Bible talks about it being having a life of worship. Our, our everyday, ordinary life, our getting up, our sleeping, our eating, is all worship to God. And this is what Jesus was addressing because he knew at that time there were people who were wandering far from him. Jesus had done amazing miracles and yet there's still the hearts were on other things. And by the way, let's be careful to point the finger because our hearts too can be centred on other things. Let's quickly read the Bible together and read a, a long passage, but just stay with me. It's going to be on the screens just to centre this message because this is what Jesus said in Matthew in chapter 6 and verse 19. 
Remember, these are the words of Jesus. These are not my words. I haven't adapted them, changed them. These are the words of Jesus. He says this, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves... You won't get a thief if you've got that served day newspaper because Andy's assured us it's burglar proof, eh, Jonathan? Where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and you'll love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. Jesus then says this, you cannot serve both God and money. And then he shifts the gear again, because in verse 25, he says, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. Points them, look at them. They do not sow or reap or store away. In barns, and yet God the Father feeds them. Are not you more valuable than they? <laughs> Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. I'm so glad this passage is in there, by the way, for us blokes. We need to remind our wives, don't we? Anybody with me? That's lost on some of you. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the fields grow, my darling Caroline. Do not worry about clothes. I'll move on quickly. Yet I tell you, they're not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Verse 31. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans, for those who are not following me, that's what that word means, that pagan. It's not those who do all kinds of strange worship. Some of the language is not helpful. A pagan is somebody who's far away from God. If you're far away from God today, that's a better phrase for me to use. You're just far away from God. You didn't know any different. And this is how most of us have lived our life outside of God. Because we run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But it's verse 33, but seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's just block, pause because I'm going to go back to those verses in a moment. But before we do that, I just want to help you ground it a little bit more. Because like I said, what Jesus is trying to get us to understand is what we worship. What has us? What are we devoted to? What, what are we committed to? What are we loving? I remember as a kid, I was trying to think of this, some of the things that I was really devoted to. 
I don't want to go there because some of you ladies get very bored with it, and particularly in this World Cup season, but I was an avid Liverpool fan and still am. Uh, and my, my, my player was Kenny Dalglish. Uh, they've just knighted him, actually. Um, and, and quite rightly, after all the great things that he did with regard to the Hillsborough and just the care of all those people who lost their lives, just a wonderful manager and you know, w- wonderful family man. Um, that's what, how he comes across anyway. But I remember having posters of him because uh, I was into football and I had his annuals. I've still got them to this day. They're up in the loft. I've got, you know, uh, whatever year it was, I've got four consecutive Kenny Dalglish annuals. I had them for Christmas, so I kept them. I was an avid follower of him. When I obviously got a little bit older, things started to shift from football to something that begins with G. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Not golf, no, no, no. Nah, not golf. Okay. Girls. Caroline will know this, so I'm not saying anything about it. She, I've, I've moved on from it. Of course, I've got a delight, delightful wife, but I've moved on. I haven't got it on the screen, but there was a film that was called Karate Kid. Anybody remember it? Okay. Yeah, wax on, wipe off, and all the rest. Well, Daniel-san, there was a girl in there. Oh, my goodness. I don't know how old I'll be, 13, 14. Her name's, I don't know what character she had, but her name's Elizabeth Shue. And uh, my goodness, I remember just thinking, oh, my goodness. (laughs) What was it for you? You may say that's just a childish thing, but some people grow up with, you know, you're of an age, Elvis Presley. You just loved a bit of Elvis. There's a bit of a character I wouldn't know about him. There's, there's a guy called David Cassidy. Oh, we've got some David Cassidy fans. Who, who likes a bit of Beatles? Yeah, and a bit of Rolling Stones and all that kind of stuff. Heroes, people that we posters adored. And then, of course, there's another uh, generation that's here who've raised up with the Beckhams, the David Beckhams of this world. And now the Harry Kane, of course, he's the, he's the key man at the moment. And... You know, the Justin Bieber, it's a shame we haven't got Josh here because I always say he looks a little bit like Justin. You know, Justin Bieber and all these kinds of things that we worship, that we follow. And they're childish teenage crushes, really. But this is the thought that I had. I was just reflecting on this. These things can still be around, though, as we get older. It just means the worship becomes more sophisticated, it's not a childish teenage thing like me with Kenny Dalglish or dreaming of being the next Liverpool star or Elizabeth Shue out of Karate Kid. A childish thing. As we get older, it becomes a little bit more sophisticated, our worship. But let me be clear, it is worship. Because it's what has us. What are we thinking about? What consumes us? What are we dreaming about? What are we focused on? There's a keynote verse that we've read together in verse 33 and we'll come back to it at the very end. Jesus says, in all those things, I'm wanting you to seek me first. 
to seek me first. For me to be first, front and central in your life. And Jesus was saying this because he understood, as I said, that there's always been a battle from the very early part of time, from the eons of time, for what? For our worship. That's what it was about. And the question, as I've asked, is who is first in our life? Because the, the, the challenge, the battle was around three things. It was a battle for power. It was a battle for purpose. And it was a battle for presence. Let me just quickly explain before I get to the crux of these verses. Because the clock is ticking really rapidly. You know, these three things, power, purpose and presence. There is a battle that rages for every single person here over your life. And the battle for power was really exemplified through Lucifer, Satan, the archenemy of Jesus And there are some churches who don't believe this, but we do here. We believe this. We believe what the Bible says. There is very much a God who is in heaven. We understand Jesus and we believe in the person of the Holy Spirit here. But we also do recognise that there is an enemy. His name is, 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 is interchangeable. Some people want to call him the devil. Some people want to call him Lucifer. Other people want to call him Satan. But he is very much at work. We might not be able to see him, but we see his work. We see his power. And the issue at the very start of time was that we see very much clearly written in Isaiah 14, just where... The issue with Lucifer being cast down from heaven was because he wanted power. He wanted to be like God. He believed he was God. Pride had filled his heart, the Bible says. And there was a battle for power. But also there was a battle for purpose. The first story of the Bible, Adam and Eve, and of course Lucifer the serpent, Satan coming to tempt both Eve and Adam. This was all about the purpose of man and woman being contested for. That's what it was about. He wanted their purpose to be stole away from their lives. You know, we've all got purpose that's written over our lives. But unfortunately, the enemy comes and robs us of our purpose. How many young people have we seen with great promise and great purpose never do anything with their lives, get caught up in a cycle of whatever? And you think to yourself, what a wasted purpose that they've got over their life. Anybody ever thought of that? You might be here today feeling that about you. I want to say it's not too late. God can redeem that purpose. Can I hear an amen? In Jesus' name. But it's always been contested for. And the third thing is that was contested for was about presence. What I mean by that was in 1 Chronicles 13, it highlights the need for the presence of God, which was exemplified again, typified in the Ark of the Covenant, which was a vehicle where God dwelt. And it was where His presence was. There was blessing that began to pour on the people, the household. And there's always been a battle for this, for power, for purpose, for presence. You see, God wants to be present in our life. He wants to be the very centre of our lives. God does not dwell now in objects. 
He dwells in the universe and He dwells in those hearts who will receive Him as Lord and Saviour. Again, can I hear an amen? That is where His presence dwells, nearly dwells inside of you. When you open your heart up to Him, He became your Lord and He dwells in you. Dwells in you. Doesn't need to dwell in an object. But these are the things that the enemy contests for. And He uses simple things to try and get our attention, our devotion onto other things. So four things that I want to just say, going back to these verses that we read together. Because there are God first in these verses in Matthew that reflect four questions. If you've got notes, I really want you to write these down and I really want you to think about them because they, they dig very deep. And this is, the, this is the thing that Jesus was saying on the mountainside to the people who were listening to him. The first thing he said is this. It's found in verse 19 and 20. And this is the question that he asked. Guys, where is your treasure? Where is your treasure? Because in verse 19 and 21, let's read it together from another version. It's on the screen. He says this, don't hoard treasure down here where it gets eaten by moths and corroded by rust or worse, stolen by burglars. Stockpile treasure in heaven where it's safe from moth and rust and burglars. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is, is the place you will most want to be and end up being. Jesus was saying here, where is your treasure. There is no permanency of earthly treasures, only those that are laid up in heaven. I think it's so important that we lay up treasures here on earth in heaven. And I've done a lot of work about this, personally praying through this only this year. Because how do you do that? Well, I think you lay it up with good works. Good works won't get you to heaven. Good works won't get you to heaven. But I'm telling you what, good works are stored up in heaven. The things that you do that nobody sees, the cakes that you send, the words of encouragement and things, the food shopping that you've left for somebody who's in need, the car journey that you've taken somebody on, the money that you've sent to somebody, the things that you do around this church that nobody sees. I want to see there is one in heaven who sees them all. I believe that with all. It won't get you to heaven. That's where people get it wrong. Think if I do those things, it'll get me to heaven. It isn't. It's about a personal relationship with Jesus. But I want to say those things God looks at. So you've not got to think this is a waste of time me doing this. Christian hasn't seen it. You know, if you're forever trying to get my attention to see it, that's the wrong way to motive to work from. Because I want to see there's one who's far greater than me. I am nothing compared to him. His name is Jesus and he sees it all. I can only see what I see now, but he can see way beyond all that is happening in the world today. And this is why Jesus said, don't store for yourself treasure here on earth. Store up treasure. In heaven. So by good works, by our devotion to God, by the sacrifice and surrender, by turning the other cheek, by loving our enemies, by living pure, all these things lay up treasure in heaven. Secondly, what is your vision eye on? What is your vision on? What is your eye on? Verse 22 and 23 
The second question that Jesus asks the crowd, he says, what are you focused on? Where are you looking? Verse 22, your eyes are windows into your body. If you open your eyes wide in wonder and belief, your body will be filled up with light. If you live squinty-eyed in greed and distrust, your body, well, it becomes a a dank cellar. If you pull the blinds on your windows, what a dark life you will have. It's interesting that Jesus uses this analogy in there about darkness and light because what he's trying to help people to understand is that where your vision is, where 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 your eye is on, that will tell, reveal what is happening in your heart. And some people, their hearts are filled with darkness because their treasure, where they're focused is all wrong. Jesus is saying to us, listen, we need to be focused. We need to be our eyes on those things that are of me, those things that are God. So here's a question. What is your eye on? What are you dreaming about? What are you thinking about? Is a thought. And I use this actually when I'm just evaluating people and just looking, and even my own life. Where do you spend your time? Tells me what you love. Some people say, oh, no, 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 I'm, I'm, not, I'm not addicted to golf. I'm not addicted to golf. And yet they're there every, every night. God gives them. And yet you can't get them anywhere. You can't get them to do anything. You can't get them into church. You can't. That's telling me, oh, no, 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 I don't love it that much. No, 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 you do. You, you're probably loving it more than your wife and your kids. Hello? Am I speaking to anybody? Well, it's not that we can't have a hobby. It's not that we can't enjoy some things. But listen, if those things overtake us, then we have a problem because where you spend your time tells me what you love. What are you seeing? Because what you are seeing, you feed on. I know I have to be very careful. I've said this to be to before. You know, with looking at business and looking at all those kinds. I have to be careful that I don't just focus on some of those things because they can feed your own heart. Our focus needs to be very much on Jesus. We love the fact that there are many career people around the life of this church. But if that's all you're focused on, then I want to tell you you'll live a very sad existence because the foundation needs to be Jesus. Thirdly, not only what is your vision eye on, not only where is your treasure, but thirdly, whom are you serving? These are words of Jesus again because verse 24, he says you can't worship two gods at once. Living the God, you'll end up hating the other. Adoration of the one feeds contempt for the other and you can't worship God and money. By the way, Jesus uses this example, this comparison, not me. And I think he did it on purpose because I think this is a real, real, you've heard me say and all I'm going to say on this is this. This is a real test for any, any one of our hearts. I've, I've had so many people who've said, I love this church, I, I'm devoted to Jesus and all the rest of it. Until you start asking them, say, okay, let's invest something. And then you really realize where their hearts is. Jesus called it right. One of the biggest single issues in the world today, and by the way, it isn't just 21st century. It's first century. They had the same issues that we have. Because it's really born out of selfishness and being self-absorbed and wanting to keep what we want. And, and me and mine. And Jesus is challenging this. And he's saying, listen, whom are you going to serve? Are you going to serve God or are you going to serve your bank balance? Are you going to serve God or are you going to serve your career? Are you going to serve me or are you going to be all about the money and career and wealth? 
And he says, you can't serve two masters. And by the way, I've met some very, very wealthy people in my time, very wealthy, who serve Jesus first and foremost. And what I've realized is wealth follows. So God is not against people carrying wealth. What he is challenging here is where their hearts are. Have you got that? You cannot serve two masters. The old quote is true. It's not, have you got money, but has money got you? Conclusion, because we really are nearly on the out of time, and I am wanting to be respectful of the heat, and I can sense it just dropping the atmosphere. Just we're nearly. In fact, I think you need to just practice the nudge. Just nudge at the time. I just think, I just feel I just feel there needs to be a bit, a bit of a nudge that goes on. Let's recap. Where is your treasure? What is your eye on? Whom are you serving? And then in conclusion, Jesus then says, what are you concerned about? I love this. And I'm going to read the verses again, if you don't mind. And then we'll make a comment about it. We've already read them, but I think it's worthwhile reading God's word and allowing God's word to do what it needs to do in our hearts. Let's read it again. I tell you, verse 25. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Verse 28, and why do you worry? He says it again, about clothes. See how the flowers of this field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Verse 31, so do not worry. Saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For those who don't follow me run after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first my kingdom, my righteousness. And then all these things will be given to you as well. Verse 34, therefore do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. In those few verses, four times, I've stressed it in my language, it uses the phrase, do not worry. So what are you concerned about? Because in this, doing the hard things, a life of worship, what has you, this is what Jesus is driving into conclusion. He uses these last few phrases to really grab the attention because he knew that all his hearers were worried about something were concerned about something whether it's the food whether it's the clothes whether where they were going to sleep we all have all kinds of worries and by the way Jesus is not being trite or is not being flippant But he is here in these closing words. Listen to me or look at me. He's calling those who know God. He's calling those 
who've, who've, um, who've said that they will worship him. He's calling those who have followed him, like you. He's calling them to this one thing, afresh to a life of worship to God. He's saying, I want to be first, front, central in your life. I know it's hard, he's saying, because there's all these kinds of things that happen and you're surrounded by it, that everybody's parading the nice new clothes or the nice new house or they're talking about the meal that they're going to enjoy. I understand all of that, but I don't want you concerned with those things. I want you just fully focused on me because if you become fully focused on me, I will take care of your needs. I will look after you. I will make sure that you have every clothing that you need. I will make sure that you have every penny that you need. I will make sure that every meal that you need, I'll provide it for you. You see, as we implement the priority, seek first the kingdom, we can then claim the promise. All these things will be added to you as well. I need to say that again. As we implement the priority, seek first the kingdom, then we can claim the promise that all these things will be added to you as well. So what has you? What has you? What are you devoted to? What are you worshipping? What has your heart? What are you committed to more than all others? If it's not Jesus, then he just comes. He says, guys, I implore you to just make the necessary Surrender journey, death journey that will enable you to walk into all that I have for you. You see, seeking God first is always the best choice. Just give me three minutes because on the screen, I wonder if we could put the last thing. I want to give the last few verses of this message. Because as I said, we've looked at all these things, doing the hard things in these areas. But I always love the conclusion of a message, the conclusion of a play, the conclusion of the film. It's the cliffhanger, isn't it? It's the thing of all things. And this is what Jesus, it's the crescendo. He leads us somewhere. And in this final message, before he closes his Bible and says, bow your heads and pray, this is what he says to them. He uses a story. I think, you have we got the right verses here there? Yeah, we've not got it. You've gone too far. So I'll just read it as it is. It's found in Matthew chapter 7, I think, of verse 24. It says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into... So these words, all 5, 6, and 7, you know, all the things that we've been talking about, everyone who hears these words of mine and then puts them into practice. It's no good saying, oh, I've heard the hard things about morally and we don't do anything about it. Integrously, we don't do anything about it. Worshipfully, we don't do anything about it. We're blessed today, but we don't do anything about it. Jesus say, the people who put, hear my words and put them into practice are like wise people who build their house on a rock. They build their house on a firm foundation. Are you, is everybody still with me? 
This, this is the kind of, and this is where we wanted to lead Irina into. We're saying, it's not built on my words, Phil's words, whoever's here. This is built on God's word. This church is built on God. There might be some things you may not like about it, you know, in terms of what we do. But I want to say, we're God-fearing, God-centered, God-first kind of church. Can I hear a big amen? We believe God and His Word and we want to build our lives on this Word. And Jesus said, if you do this, you'll build it on a rock. The rain came down, the streams rose and the winds blew and it beat against that house. Yet that house did not fall. What He's saying is, guys, you may have some challenges. You may have some difficulties. You may have some hardships. You might feel like you're battered. Anybody ever felt like they've been battered in life? Yeah, about three of you are telling the truth. There's about, you know, a few more, who, you know. We all get battered, but you won't, your house won't fall to bits. But then he says, but everyone who hears these words, you see, you can hear the word, but then you don't put them into practice. This is why I want to finish with this. Jesus says, you've heard all the messages. You've had the best of me. I've given my best. But some of you have heard my words, but you're not going to put them into practice You're like a foolish man. You're going to build your house on sand. And the same rain that came on the wise man is going to come on you. And the same streams that rose will rise on you. And the same winds that blow, there won't be any greater. They'll blow on you. And they'll beat your house. But your house will fall with a great crash. I don't say this with any... Any sense of joy, I have seen so many people pretend. Here, they've said all the right things, they've nodded, and they've just gone and done their own life. And let me tell you, I have no joy in it. You need to understand, as a pastor, my heart breaks. Because there's a better way. There's a different way. And I've seen their house collapse. Collapse. And it's in the Bible. And it says there, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowd were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. If you had your Bibles, I'd ask you to close them as almost a symbolic thing. There's the message. Do the hard things. None of this is possible without the work of God and the power of God and the work of the Spirit in our life. But He is calling us, listen to me, He's calling us to something deeper, something greater, something higher. Can I get a big amen? I'm going to say it again. Something deeper, something bigger, something greater. Not that we're going to be pointing our fingers, not that we're going to go all high and mighty, but we're going to live our lives on a firm foundation that we know that we can stand in the time of trouble. Can I hear a big amen? And we're going to do that personally. We're going to do it in the life of the church. And we're going to believe that God is going to continue to lead us forward. Can I hear a big shout of praise to God this morning? I wonder if the guys...